0: to another edition of Break the Ice. This is uh, episode eight, as our crack producer, Zach Garrett informs me. And today, uh, I have the profound privilege of being joined by Elliot Friedman of Sportsnet, who, in in my opinion, is one of the premier, preeminent North American hockey reporters. Um, Elliot works at Sportsnet up in Canada, and I'm thrilled to have him with us. Uh, Elliot, uh, thanks for joining us. And I, I guess, first off, uh, how, how are you holding up there, uh, up, up in Canada and,
1: you know, waiting it out like the rest of us? It's been two months now. Well, Mike, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really pleased to be uh, involved. Let me just put the mic in here like an absolute, like a pro should, so you can actually hear me. Um, you know, I, I, like, I'm like everybody else. Like, uh, the standard line I give is bored but good. If the worst thing I am is bored... Yeah. I'm good. So everyone around me I know is is healthy. And that's all you can ask for.
0: Well, I don't want to steal any of the thunder away from your fabulous uh, 31 Thoughts podcast. But I got to ask you a couple of of, of general questions. Uh, okay. Just as far as you know, what's going on in the landscape here? What does your gut tell you about what's ahead of us here in the next six months or so for the NHL vis-a-vis the continuation of the 1920 season and the start of the 2021, uh, the draft, free agency, et
1: cetera? You know, Mike, I believe that the NHL and the players are going to do anything they can in their power to play. Um, If a, a politician or a medical professional comes up and says it's not going to be possible, that's one thing. That is a higher power. That is an authority you cannot overcome at this per- point in time. If they're either told they can't do it or it's unsafe to do it, they're out. But barring that, anything less than that, I believe they're going to do everything they can to try and play. Um, now, this is my guess um, because no, nothing is set yet. <clears throat> but my guess is that training camps will open late June, early July. And if we get – if we're fortunate enough to get playoffs – late July, August. And I think it's, I think, I can't say for sure it's going to be 24 teams. These things seem to change a lot, but I think that's what they're looking at. Um, finding a way that the top four teams needs conference, aren't sitting around while other teams play is part of this conversation. And that would affect Washington, for example. Um, so I think they are going to try to play if they can Um draft. I got to tell you, Mike, this one, when I saw that memo come out 10 days ago, I thought for sure we were having a June draft. When Gary Bettman and Bill Daly send out that kind of a note, that says to me, it's going to happen and you better get used to it. Now, it still might happen, but the pushback has been fierce and I'm less confident it's going to happen in June than I was when I first saw that memo.
0: Any thoughts on what's the most equitable way of determining who, who's involved in a, in a playoff, whether it's 16, 20, 24 teams? Because obviously, you know, when, when the pause button was hit, 85% of the season in the books, but n- not everyone with the same number of games played. And a number of those races were so tight and are and teams, you know, sort of left hanging on the cliff here.
1: I think it's most likely, although not certain that it's 24. I think that's what they are trying to do. Um, and it would be 12 in each conference and it would be the top 12. Now the one interesting wrinkle about all of this, uh, Mike, is that, uh, in the West it's, it's pretty set. Like there, the difference between 12 Chicago and 13 Anaheim was five points. Um, in, in in the East, it was closer. Montreal was a couple points up, or I think three points up on both New Jersey and Buffalo, but their points percentage was better. And even though Montreal had played uh, more games than those other teams, if you walked Montreal back and took their last two games off the schedule, they were both losses. So Montreal still would have had more points. So I think that's the way they're going to look at it. The other thing too is that in your division, you'd have seven teams make the playoffs. In the Central, you'd have seven teams make the playoffs. So I think you're going to have to have one team from your division uh, go over to the, uh, to the Atlantic. And my suspension, I guess it would be the Rangers because they would be the lowest team based on, you know, points percentage and all that. So I assume that if they do do 24, the Rangers would go over to the other division. Mm.
0: It'll be fascinating. Fascinating to see uh, how that all plays out. And I, I mean, obviously teams like uh, Pittsburgh and Columbus um, that that were so banged up, so battered up throughout the the regular season will now be, you know, full health, peak health going in. So they'll be um, helped by the pause, the two month pause, two month plus pause. But any any other wrinkles you can see out there where a team, a specific team, uh, on either side of the uh, um, conference breakdown would have uh, an advantage that, that you see that, that maybe others don't see yet?
1: You know, I, I think you mentioned a good point about injuries. I mean, this is going to be so weird, Mike, because people are going to be healthy, but they're going to be out of hockey shape. Like, you know, you know, Mike, when you and I were kids, and that was a long time ago for all those people watching this, you know, people showed up to training camp and they weren't in hockey shape. They, they goofed off during the summer. They played slow-pitch softball or whatever. He they had summer jobs. Yeah, second job. And you use training camp to get into shape. Yeah. Now all these guys, they don't do that. They ramp up in the four to six weeks before camp begins, and they show up, and they're ready to play. These guys are not going to be ready to play, which is why we need a training camp in the first place. I think it's going to be very unusual. So I think while – I think there's a better chance for players to be healthier than they've been. They're also not going to be in the peak conditioning that they're used to when training camp starts. So I'm I'm really curious about that. Um, you know, I I heard Brad Marchand say older teams might be disadvantaged by this. Yeah. Also, how good are your prospects? Because I do think, Mike, we're going to be talking about potentially thirty-man rosters. So mm. like because the AHL got is done but you're going to want to have extra players around. So if you guys have, and there's going to be no salary cap, I don't think, because this is going to be playoffs. Right. So maybe there's some prospects you guys have down in Hershey that you've been saying, these guys are ready to play. They might get a chance to play. I think that's going to be a really interesting thing too. You
0: know, the black aces could be a little, little prominent in some of the markets for sure. Yeah. That'd be kind of fun actually um today today's May 13th and and since the uh the salary cap the advent of the salary cap in uh, 2005-6 season we found that roster building now takes place from primarily from almost exclusively really from June 15th to July 15th and now we're a month away from that but you know GMs they've got to worry about the draft they've got to worry about free agency they got to worry about I mean, right now it's, it's walking, it's chewing gum. It's tying your shoes while you're walking and chewing gum. You're making the gum. I I can't imagine what, what's your sense of what GMs and hockey ops people are going through right now as that, that uber crucial point of the hockey calendar is approaching, but you know, it's not business as normal.
1: It's, it's weird for these guys. Like, uh, You know, one of them has been a long time, Jim, was telling me that your body's almost on autopilot because you know that you're either either preparing for the start of the year, then you're going through the year at the various points, trade deadlines, playoffs, draft prep, and then you get to the summer uh, draft, free agency, arbitration. If you're lucky, you get a month off. If you're lucky, you probably don't get a month off, but you get some time off. You can at least go to the cottage and see your family mm-hmm. right now you're used to seeing you're used to being either in the playoffs and sweating through that or working on your draft and i think these guys got kicked into working on their draft a bit when the idea of, the, of it coming yeah. early came up but like there's a lot of zoom calls like one gm told me like it's all make work projects now like i We want to all justify that we actually are employed and working. So it's a lot of Zoom calls. It's a lot of talking to prospects. It's a lot of meeting with your staffs, but like, especially if you're in a really tight cap situation, like Washington is it's, you can kind of think and plan what your business is going to be out, but until you know, for sure. And we think the cap is going to be flat next year, but we don't know. So until you really know that it's hard to do a lot of your planning business.
0: I mean you worked through a couple of lockouts mm-hmm. um any similarities differences between this and in those situations in, in just in from from a journalist standpoint
1: yeah you know it, there's a lot it, it's it's a lot of the same thing it really is mike um obviously it's it's more serious than that i don't want anyone to think that i'm i'm kidding about yeah. it but you know it's a lot of the same it's a lot of is there really any real news today is there anything like you don't want to say a breathless big story when it's really not a big story. And you know that anything you report, um, like for example, at the, at the beginning of all this, I I wrote a story that um, the league was looking at potentially as one of the hubs to be North Dakota. And it went huge. And I was like, I didn't think this was really that big a deal. And you realize right now everybody's looking for the tiniest morsel of news. So you have to be careful. I will say this, like, one of the things that's kind of funny, and I talked about it with someone today, uh, is that um, during the lockout, uh, like, sometimes the League of the Players Association, they'll get annoyed if they feel that there's a slant to your story one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I think people are just really sensitive about any news right now. Like, Like, don't make it out to be bigger than it is or don't report that things are farther along than they are um, I, I get the sense that I have unintentionally aggravated some people this time. And, you know, you're not really trying to aggravate anyone, but it's, it's tough. Like it's, people are sensitive now.
0: Well, that makes a lot of sense too. Um, and, and with that, we'll, we'll park what's, what's going on in the, <laughs> uh, in the business today. Cause typically this show is about getting to know people and, and talking mm-hmm. about people with, you know, on, on a human level. Um, Let's go back to the Elliott Friedman when he was a kid. You you mentioned when you and I were kids, but it's ironically enough, you and I are almost exactly, almost to the day, a decade apart. We started mm-hmm. in the business around the same time because I spent a decade uh, making drinks and working in restaurants and whatnot. But um, it, when you were growing up, what, what, what was the spark? What, what were the teams, the players that you watched? What led you? onto this, this path, your career path that you're on now?
1: I always love sports. Um, you know, Mike, there's a line, I think it was Mark Twain, the problem with youth is that it's wasted on the young. Like that line fits me so well. Like if I had the attitude uh, I, I have now when I was younger, I would have been a far more successful teenager and youth. I was a pretty soft kid. uh, I'm not ashamed to admit now. And one of the reasons I do admit it is because, like, you could divide the world into two groups, Mike. Those who knew who they were in high school and those who didn't. And one of the things I like to tell people is, if you didn't know yourself in high school, it doesn't mean anything. Because I didn't know myself in high school, and I still turned out about 65% pretty good. So, you know, I... I always tell people that, like, I was, um, was a pretty soft kid. Um, I wasn't much of a grinder. I think, I think grinding is the most important skill we all have to have, yeah. like now. Like, y- y- you have to grind. And, um, you know, I, I love sports. I love sports. I loved competing at them. But I didn't have the physical or mental toughness that you needed. But I loved being around them. So, I knew I wasn't going to be good enough to play them at an elite level, but I wanted to write or talk about them. So, my goal was always how could I push myself in that direction? Hockey wise, I loved Boreas Salming. I loved Guy Lafleur. Mm. I was always a Blackhawks fan because when I was a kid, I was, grew up in Toronto. My dad took me to see the Leafs and the Blackhawks. And after the game, some Blackhawks stopped and signed autographs for me. So that was why I became a Blackhawks fan. But Boreas Salming and uh, Guy Lafleur were two of my favorite players.
0: That's fascinating. Yeah, I I came to the game um, in Boston. My dad was in the Navy. We were stationed there. And I was there when, you know, Bobby Orr... I was nine years old the day he went flying through the air. And it was, it's still one of the greatest days of my life. And I'm, you know, not even a Bruins fan anymore and haven't been for years. But uh, th- th- that whole run um, just sort of locked me in. And then we, ironically enough, moved to Chicago, mm-hmm. um, where I lived after that and never really latched onto the Blackhawks. Although I did uh, split some season tickets there for, for a mm-hmm. while before I came here. Um, your 30 thoughts, now 31 thoughts, um, is me and it has been Destination Reading and is now Destination Podcast. How, what was the genesis of that? Because um, it's really a, a significant part of your, your brand now. How did that start? Um, how did it evolve? And, and uh, I mean, you, you, I'm guessing you would not have imagined uh, it growing to, to what it has at this point.
1: Well, the guy who deserves uh, Mike, you know, and I know that the most important people and uh, broadcast are producers, right? Like, if it wasn't yep. for them, we would we wouldn't be able to do anything. I had a producer I used to work at Hockey Night in Canada with named Doug Walton. He no longer works at Hockey Night. He's now the producer of Toronto Blue Jays broadcasts, but he was one of my producers, and I would work sideline. And uh, you know, I always saw my you know the the job of a sideline reporter is to come. To the show with four or five different bits of news that wouldn't be that they're elsewhere. And as you know, like sometimes the game dictates, you can come on, you'll, you'll be on like, it's an eight, two game. You're going to be on 12 times, but if it's a really exciting fast paced game where a lot's happening, you might not get on at all. And, um, you know, he's, so there would be times I wouldn't get on and he'd say, you should do something with this stuff. Like it's good information. And it's yeah. not going anywhere. So I came up with the idea to write a blog and I like alliteration. So I came up with uh 30 thoughts at the time. Uh, like there are weeks I will tell you, Mike, I'm like, what a stupid number. <laughs> like I'm at 18 <laughs> and I'm dying here. And actually Bettman yeah. said to me, when we go to Seattle and he calls it 31 things, he says, are you going to make it 32 things? And I go, yeah, stop expanding. And, uh, but you know what? I mean, you know what it is, Mike? Honestly, it's like anything you do, and I'm sh- you can tell me if you think I'm nuts, but I assume we're probably kindred in the same way. Like, like I read your blog, you always do on the Capitals. And at the end of the day, um, you're sitting there and you're saying, I just want to know that people are reading this. Like I don't care if they like it or they don't. Yeah. You just want to know that people are like, okay, you've given me something I want to read or listen to. And I get the sense people like reading it and listening to it. And you're happy to do it if you feel that there's an audience there for it.
0: Absolutely. And and I think you've, I think you really tapped into that. And that sort of dovetails into my next question. Uh, so much of in our business, um, controversy sells, um, hot takes, um, you know you listen to sports talk radio in a lot of markets and it's very confrontational and it's uh i think it's designed to be that way but you've pivoted away from that you were never that you, you you've um you've sort of built a, a human humanitarian level of coverage that i think is really refreshing and appealing to a lot of people and i think a lot of the rest of us see the value in that and try to try to emulate that in our own small way mm-hmm. um but I feel like you, you, you do that by you, you've earned a, a great deal of respect and trust from people in this game over the years. And and when you look back on 25 years of doing this at the, those are put together brick by brick. What goes into that process at a grassroots level, getting people to, you know, to build up that, that trust and, and that respect.
1: You know, I, I think there's a few things. Number one, like, it's it's like the golden rule, right? Like treat people like you would hope to be treated. I think that's always number one. Um, you know, I always try to say that when I'm going to deal with someone, I try to treat them in a manner that I would hope they would treat me. So I, I think that's that's very important and that's the first thing. But, Mike, I I don't think it happens quickly. I think it happens over time. Like I I can I, – I I assume that like the first time you showed up working for the Capitals – you could feel the looks from the players. Okay, who's this guy? And can I trust this guy? And is this guy who works for our, our organization, do I feel that he treats me as I hope that I would be treated by the organization I play for and, and coaches or GMs case work for? And, you know, that's kind of the way I look at it is uh, I, I learned the first team I ever covered on a daily basis was the expansion Toronto Raptors. And I had nothing in common with the players on that team. I'm a white middle-class Jewish guy from Toronto. A lot of those guys were obviously African-American. They came from all over the place. There were a couple of guys, one guy from Croatia. There was one guy from Italy. Um, You know, but a lot of the players came from really tough backgrounds. And what they taught me is once they knew my face, and some of them actually I heard listen to the radio reports I was doing. And they said, once we realize that this guy, A, is around a lot and B, does fair work, it doesn't matter where you're from. Everybody understands that. And, you know, I'll tell you, Mike, I know in this business, I've had some big battles with people. You know, Brian Burke and I joke about it now because we're teammates. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when he was GM of the Leafs, we didn't talk for a year because he was wow. so mad at something I did. And it's, our job can be adversarial. I try to be as good as possible. It's not always easy, but I try to treat people respectfully. And I will say this, Mike, the hockey night in Canada name, when I first got hired by them, it changes the way people look at you. You're like, you, Oh, you work for hockey night in Canada. Like that's, and it opens doors. But again, if you don't treat people as respectfully as you possibly can, those doors will slam shut on you. And, um, you know, I mean, like, uh, I just try to treat people right. I don't always succeed, but I try.
0: Well, that you're right about the hockey night in Canada. I think, I mean, that's one of the things we really miss at this, this time of year too. Um, from, from down here in the States, uh, just watching uh, the production, uh, the production value, the in-between periods, again, that's, that's destination viewing. It has been uh, for decades. And and um, we in the States are envious uh, of the work that you guys do uh, on that broadcast and in and, and that franchise uh, over, over the years, because it's fantastic. And you mentioned the Raptors. Um, having witnessed the, um, the championship, do you allow your mind to think what it's going to be like the next time a Canadian team wins the Stanley cup up there?
1: Mike, I think about it all the time. Like uh, to me, one of the real highlights of the last decade in hockey, covering hockey, was I saw Chicago end a 49-year drought. I saw Boston end a 49-year drought. I saw – then what – I saw Los Angeles win for the first time ever. I saw – then what else did I see? Well, Pittsburgh, they'd won it a few times. But then I saw you guys win it for the first time ever. And then I saw St. Louis win it for the first time ever. And I think if you're a hockey fan and you invest yourself in teams like Boston, Chicago, L.A., Washington, and St. Louis, you should be rewarded once in your lifetime. You should be able to say, when the day comes for you, I got to see it. And I was so happy for all those fan bases that you got to see it because there have been so many tough losses. I finished school and I'm careful to say I did not graduate. I'm still a credit and a half shy. I don't want anyone accusing me of uh, of lying about my resume. I finished school in 93. That was the last year a Canadian team won. I have never covered a Canadian team winning a Stanley Cup. Before my career is over, Mike, I don't care which one it is. I want to see one of the seven win it. I want to be there to see one of those seven teams win the cup. And to be honest, Mike, sometimes I worry about uh, the the NHL in Canada that as strong as it is there, and it is very strong, Mm -hmm. a generation of fans has grown up without seeing a championship. I, I don't think that's good. And, uh, um, you know, I just I I hope I get to see it before I retire or someone fires me or whatever.
0: I agree with you. I don't I don't think it's good either, and I hope uh, that that we see that that happen uh, at some point, uh, hopefully in the not too distant future. Um, and you, you alluded to it. You mentioned 1993. Um, you getting into the business shortly thereafter. Over the last quarter of the century, quarter of a century, we've seen a just a true tremendous amount of change and mm-hmm. evolution in our game, um, both on and off the ice, you know, social media, there's, there's any number of, of things that have, that have had dramatic uh, influences. So putting your prognosticator uh, hat on for a moment, this being 2020, any, anything you would like to see um, in, in in the name of evolution or growth here in the, in the 10 years ahead of, of, of this league and this game? Um, because, you know, the one thing that that's that's remained the same is it's, it's still seen as sort of the number four uh, sport of of the four major sports, or even the fifth, if you want to, um, you know, include soccer in, the, in that mix.
1: Well, I think the first thing is, if we are fortunate enough to have playoffs this year, Mike, we're going to have them without fans, uh, unfortunately. Um, but that allows you to try things. And I hope they try some things with the camera positions, the microphones. Uh, I know they've talked about, do you put a DJ in the rink um, and play music while the game is on to create some atmosphere? I hope they try all those things. I hope they try some games with new ideas, whether it's the all-natural sound game, where all you hear are the same sounds you'd hear in the rink. I hope they try games with with a DJ playing music all the time. So I hope that that's number one. I hope we try something new when we come back here. But the number one thing I think has to happen, Mike, is that the the best thing about hockey is it's a great team sport. But the worst thing about hockey is that we can suppress the personalities of the people in it. And you, you guys saw that firsthand. And yeah. um, I don't think I was ever overly critical of Alexander Ovechkin, but I'm sure there are probably some things if you went back there and, and, looked at some of the things I might have said 10 years ago, I'd probably look at them now and say, boy, I wish I hadn't didn't have that particular take. Um, You know, I I think that we have to embrace the personalities of our players. We we can't be afraid of that. Um, And the showmanship, the energy, the love, the passion, we have to say, we have to let it go because that's what the younger fans want. They want you out there. So we have to, and nobody should do it if it's not them. Don't be a fake. People don't want phony. But I hope the the next Ovechkins, and there's more of them in this generation, I hope that their showmanship is embraced as long as they work their butts off when they're on the ice. We
0: we don't typically spend a lot of time talking about dietary choices on this show, but – as a kid, when I was eight years old, I decided to become a vegetarian, much to mm-hmm. the consternation of my my parents and the, and the rest of my family who didn't want any part of it and still don't. Um, but I've stuck to it for, for all these years. Wow. I'm not, my, my eldest child is vegan and that's her choice too. Mm-hmm. But I, I understand that you you made the switch to veganism a couple of years ago. Just wonder what, what was the impetus behind that and any, any favorite spots on the road? Um, that offer that
1: type of cuisine well i'm not vegan anymore um uh, i missed fish mike like i couldn't live without fish i'm a big fish guy i uh, i don't really have a lot i don't i barely eat red meat anymore like that's okay. that's the big thing but i'm so i'm not 100 percent vegetarian but i'm pretty close um you know i love there's a place the next time you come to toronto there's a place downtown it's called fresh it's a vegan vegetarian restaurant and they have the best onion rings, vegan or non-vegan, I've ever tasted. Hmm. And so, when you come to Toronto, you got to go to Fresh. It's not too far from the, uh, it's from Scotiabank Arena. And you got to have the onion rings. And the squash tacos are fantastic too. And they fit your diet, no problem at all. Uh, on the road, um, you know, I, I will tell you, I don't. Uh, it's in Chicago. There was, um, like, one thing I can eat in the States I can't eat in Canada is called the Impossible Burger. Yeah. And, and you have to be careful how many of them you eat, but I love that thing. It's beets, and I generally yeah. hate beets, but that's the only beet I'll eat.
0: Yeah, I'm a fan of that Impossible Burger, too, and there's a couple of good – uh vegetarian places in Chicago, one uh, really fantastic one that's no longer in existence. But, yeah, there, it's, uh, it's a lot easier to do now than, than when I uh, <laughs> made the plunge. That's so. for sure. Um, running out of time here, so We're we, we don't want to keep you. But um, I would like to know, uh, among current players, coaches, and GMs, who, who would you see as being a good fit? Um, for for our industry, should they choose to do so when their current gig or career is, is up?
1: Well, one of them I would say you know really well, and that's Bruce Boudreaux. Yeah. Um, we've used him for the playoffs before, and uh, I know we, were, we used him for the trade deadline this year. And uh, I know that uh, we've discussed with him what he's thinking about his long term. I don't know what the answer is. But uh, I think Bruce Boudreaux would be a guy who uh, would absolutely be great at it. Uh, because as you know him, he's, he's pretty unfiltered. We'd, we'd have to leave out some of the language. But, you know, you know and I'll tell you something. You, like, I always think that Bruce got a raw deal in terms of how smart he is. You know, people underestimate him because yeah. of the way he looks. He knows hockey, man. He's sure smart. He's smart.
0: Yeah, and they don't call him Gabby for, for nothing either. So, so he, he definitely fits the bill. I, I absolutely agree with you.
1: I would tell uh, you something else too, Mike. I, don't think, I think he's got a long career as an executive ahead of him, but nobody in the business has the better broadcast pipes than Brian McClellan. And I think I think boy, he you know, could be right. good at it too, but then he'd have to become a member of the media, and I'm sure that would just make him feel like uh, he'd need to shower six times a day it'd be pretty amazing to hear him doing like uh 2 a.m jazz uh you know the little
0: jazz station just introing these uh these tracks he's he's definitely got the uh the soothing voice for it well last thing before we let you go just um you know obviously we, we started here talking about the pause and um just wondering from a personal standpoint what do you miss the most about the day in and the day out of 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 what we do uh over the course of um, you know, the nine-month season, and, and what's been the silver lining for you as far as, hey, this this is the thing that, that's helped me get, get through this?
1: Well, I think, you know, being able to see my family, you know, I have an eight-year-old son. Uh, my, you know, he, this is the time of the year where he wouldn't see me at all. And, uh, you know, my, my son, is uh, he's a homebody. Um, you know, sometimes we have to peel him off the couch like most kids. Mm-hmm. He gets that from his dad, I think. But he is just, he loves being at home with his, with his mom and his dad. And so we're very fortunate. He's been excellent uh, during this time. He's very happy. And uh, being at home with him has been the unquestionably the best thing about this. You know, Mike, the thing I miss the most is, um, I don't know, like, like, you, like I, I know, like obviously, all the people you work with, at least in front of the scenes. I don't know a lot of them behind the scenes. And you got good guys there. And, um, like, we've got good guys at our place. And what I miss is, you know, when you're in the green room before the games start and Brian Burke is, like, uh, saying, Elliot, that was an awful addition of 31 turds this week. That's what he calls it, (laughs) 31 turds. And, like, you're in the makeup chair and David Amber walks in and says, I'll be back in three hours when you're finally done and stuff like that. I I miss that. I I miss, like – we clobber each other like at work we tear into each other we all get along great it never goes over the line but mike that's the thing i miss is is kind of being around the teammates and just giving it to each other about how ugly we are or how bad our work is stuff like that i i can't wait till that happens again
0: yeah well i think you nailed it uh we have the same thing going on here you know the the text the group text thing isn't isn't quite as uh forceful as as an in-person uh dig so yeah definitely looking forward to all that as well but uh just wanna how are you
1: doing mike are you doing well
0: yeah yeah I, you know like you said no complaints i mean every everybody's healthy um you know my, my son's graduating from would have been graduating from college this weekend uh congratulations yeah, he's he's packing up his uh his apartment in Milwaukee and preparing to drive to Los Angeles to start a life there with mm-hmm. with no job mid pandemic so that'll be interesting for him, but
1: he'll be joining his sister there so good luck um, like and lifes not supposed to be an adventure right so yeah exactly yeah.
0: That's, that's what I tell him so he'll be uh setting sail or setting uh, setting his uh his vehicle uh, for a two thousand mile road trip uh here in the next couple of days
1: wow.
0: but yeah um just trying to help him cobble that together has been my my big uh project here so mm-hmm. we're almost uh, we're almost there and i would love to be going with him but it's just just not in the cards there's there's too many other uh you know variables mm-hmm. out there and getting back so um but yeah no no beefs here we're all we're all healthy and just just looking to stay that way and you know perfect world we'll we'll see you somewhere,
1: uh, somewhere in some hockey rink uh, before too awful long. We'll see you at whatever the Stanley Cup final looks like this year. Sounds mm-hmm. good. I'm looking forward to that. Thank thanks to Elliot Friedman. Again, one of the best in the business
0: for uh, spending some time with us. And as always, thanks to Garrett for putting it all together with uh, spackle, duct tape, bondo, whatever we got there. I much appreciate it. And thanks to you all for, for listening. As always, please stay safe. Stay healthy and uh, hopefully we'll see you again soon as well. This has been it for Break the Ice.